Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by John Odermatt. John is a part or a founder or creator of the Lions of Liberty Podcasting Network. Really appreciate John joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We're going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am now joined by John Odermatt. John, how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to uh, getting to cut it up with you. I love it. John is... And correct me if I'm wrong with my introduction here, John, but John is one of the, I think, three or maybe four original founders or creators of the Lions of Liberty podcasting network. Is that an accurate description? And if there's any holes there, feel free to fill those in. <laughs> it's, uh, that's pretty close to accurate. Yeah, it's uh, technically there are four founders. So it'd be uh, myself and Mark Clare and Brian McWilliams. And the fourth founder um, is a guy named Dominic Sidoti, but he has not been involved with, uh, with the Lions of Liberty for several years now. So, I mean, it's, it's basically the three of us. That's the, the cleanest way to say it. Okay, and you all met each other and were friends at... Penn State University, and you all leaned politically, very much so libertarian, so you decided to kind of start screwing around with some podcasting. Is that is that an accurate description? Well, so uh, Mark and Brian, they're about three years older than me. So yeah, we did all, we, we were all Penn State together. We were all in the same fraternity. 
but I was obviously I was like a, a freshman when they were when they were seniors. So that's when I met them. Um, during our time in college, uh, myself personally, I was I guess I would call myself a, a neoconservative. I was you know big time into uh, George W. Bush, and you know this is after after nine eleven happened, pretty much right after nine eleven happened when I was in college. I started college in 2000, 2001, so that September is, is when it occurred. So I was big time into, uh, you know, let's spread democracy in the Middle East, uh, all of that stuff. And I, I think I think during our time in college, um, Mark was, uh, he was a little bit more into politics th- th- than I was, uh, libertarian politics, I should say. Um, but he didn't talk about it at all. It wasn't until after college when, uh, uh, Ron Paul was having his, his first campaign for first camp, first Republican campaign for president. Of course he did run on the libertarian ticket in 1988, but I was five years old then. So I had no idea what was happening. Um, but so when, when Ron Paul had that Republican campaign, I had, had actually moved to California and I was living out there, had my first job out of college. And, uh, that's kind of when I reconnected with Mark and Brian and, uh, you know, started hanging out. And that's when Mark brought up to me, we're drinking in, drinking in a dive bar in some small town in California. And, uh, he starts talking about a, uh, Republican from Texas who's anti-war and he wants to end the federal reserve. And, uh, I was taken aback because I thought that Mark, you know, having his, his long flowing locks of, of hair, I thought he was, you know, a hippie, you know, liberal. And him talking about a Republican that, that threw me off. Um, and I, I didn't even, couldn't even really comprehend what he meant by a Republican who was anti-war since I had this, you know, big time uh, neoconservative stance, uh, you know, spreading our goodness, uh, you know, throughout the Middle East through the barrel of a gun. Um, but that really, I mean, it's not like he converted me in that conversation or anything, but that kind of opened my eyes to there being another perspective politically. Um, coming, you know, being obviously messaged from the Republican Party, from Ron Paul, but really a libertarian message. And from there, it was just, you know, started reading, started reading LouRockwell.com almost every day. Um, Ron Paul's campaign ramped up, and I started, you know, watching his videos, his campaign videos. And then the Rudy Giuliani moment happened um, during those 2007 debates in the run-up to the 2008 election. And I mean, that just, that just lit a spark under me. And from there, you know, I was, I was all in and, uh, you know, our, our group that really, that was the unofficial founding, I guess, of the Lions of Liberty. Um, but back then it was just, we would just talk about, talk about Ron Paul, basically talk about, you know, these different, uh, you know, talk about the libertarian philosophy. And it was at that time, it was just a, that's an email chain among friends. And we, we got, probably got up to around 20 people on that email chain, just going back and forth, talking about ideas. And eventually, when uh, 2012, the 2012 election comes around, and you know, we find out in 2011 or whatever that, that Ron's going to run again, we decided you know, this is getting kind of annoying that we can only talk to our friends and our family doesn't want to talk to us about politics. <laughs> so let's start a blog. You know, people start blogs nowadays. So that's how Lions of Liberty started. It started as a blog and we just kind of started writing articles from there. I host the Kelly Patrick show. 
I've been podcasting for actually about 10 or 11 years myself, but only recently has it turned political. So in theory, at least, many of my listeners are not real familiar with the libertarian Mm -hmm. platform. John, you just referenced the uh, Rudy Giuliani and Ron Paul moment. Sounds like that was a pivotal moment for you where it it you know mark claire with his flowing locks looking like a hippie planted some anti-war seeds in your mind prior to that but then when ron paul stood up on the republican debate stage against rudy giuliani you were like oh shit this guy's a badass could you describe to our listeners or, or, you know, uh, reenact or whatever it is. What, yeah. What's the, the Rudy Giuliani, what's that moment? What is it you're referring to, and why was it so significant? It's, it's a really interesting moment because I remember distinctly at that point in time, I just started, you know, telling my, my family about this Ron Paul guy, and I'm super excited. And there's this Republican debate, I think it was in South Carolina, and the... Uh, I forget exactly how, how this moment came up, um, but Ron Paul basically lays out um, that the cause of 9-11, um, it's not, they're not attacking us because of our freedom. They're attacking us because we are over there. And he details out, you know, the foreign invention and, and, and you know, having bases in Saudi Arabia and, and the different things that led um, to uh, the, um, you know, Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And Osama bin Laden wrote about this being the motivation um, and cited these specific examples. And Ron Paul cites the CIA term for this is called blowback. So that's a, that's, that's a military term, blowback. And Ron Paul lays that out in Rudy Giuliani. The Rudy Giuliani moment is when Rudy Giuliani says to the, uh, the moderator and says, well, I, I, Mr. Paul, I have, or Dr. Paul, I have to interject there. I've, I've never heard anything like that before, that the U.S. is responsible for 9-11. I've never heard anyone say that before. I would um, ask that you please apologize and, and take back that remark. And, of course, the, the crowd is very much on the side of really Giuliani, and, and they're cheering. And I remember the next day, and Ron Paul doubled down after that, he just doubled down on it being blowback and that being, not that, you know, the U.S. citizens are responsible for 9-11, but that our government's um, intervention in, in these foreign lands is what created the uh, ability for these terrorists to persuade people because they've had their, you know, their, their homes and their, their families bombed by, uh, by U.S. bombs. It gave them a ability to, to build this terrorist movement um, on the backs of the destruction caused by U.S. bombs. So th- that is what Ron Paul was getting at. And the day after and the week after, whatever uh, that, uh, that moment, um, they, they were de- declaring Ron Paul's campaign over, that you know, a blunder like that you can't recover from. I remember I had family members who knew that I was supporting Ron Paul saying, well, Ron really screwed that one up. He's done for now. And his campaign took off from there. That's when it, it's, got its, it's, it's got its momentum, and he had huge... Um, fun fundraising days where I think there was one day when he raised seven million dollars just from grassroots ten you know fifteen dollar donations just from from individuals. So it, it was a pretty remarkable time back then, and that was really the birth of the new libertarian 
moment that I'd like to say is now starting to pick up steam again. So if I'm hearing you correctly, John, Ron Paul was not presenting some Michael Moore style conspiracy theory, anything crazy like that. He was simply saying, hey, guys, why don't we just listen to the people who attacked us? And then we can start to actually understand what happened. And everybody on the stage was like, oh, my God, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a a radical. That's a you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Is that is that kind of accurate? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. And, you know, it's it's the same as today. I mean, it's the same if you look at any any time that there's pushback against a narrative, be it, you know, with the. with the coof, with, with, uh, with, with, you know, with people pushing back on different aspects of, I mean, just, I mean, for something that, that's happened recently with, I say coof, of course, we all know what we're talking about there. I don't want to get this flagged on any, any, uh, any platforms that you're on. But when people just question, oh, could this have been uh, created in a lab? That was, oh my God, there's no way we, we can even talk about that. We, that's, that's ridiculous. And people were banned from Twitter and had their accounts taken away. And, uh, and then fast forward six months to a year. Now they're saying, well, actually, uh, there's a pretty good chance it was and a pretty good chance that that actually did happen. Okay. So the first, when I asked you to describe your background with Lions of Liberty, the first angle you took on everything was foreign policy. Is, is there a reason for that? Is that, in your opinion, is that the most important aspect of, of uh, liberty movement or being a libertarian or that type of thing? Well, um, I would, uh, I, I think the reason that, that I, I said that first, cause that's really what pulled me in. Um, but, but really more so than anything, I was, I was pulled in yes, form by foreign policy, but more so by understanding, uh, how these wars were financed, um, through the federal reserve, um, through the federal reserve monetizing debt and, creating dollars out of thin air, um, you know, which pays for these interventions, pays for uh, the military industrial complex to be able to um, build all of this equipment that goes overseas, the, the trillions of dollars, all the, all the stuff that, of course, we all heard about that was, that was left and abandoned over in, uh, in Afghanistan. That's cre- the, the reason we're able to do that as a country, um, yes, we are a wealthy country. We are a you know, quasi-capitalist nation, and, and we do create a lot of wealth. But our wars are financed largely by our monetary policy through the Federal Reserve, and that, that monetary policy is really, that's what really got me interested when I started to understand. And, I mean, it's, the Federal Reserve is not only financing um, the wars, you know, it's, it's, it's the welfare state and, and, and everything else, and they do this in a very uh, clandestine way how they're, they're stealing wealth from us through inflation. Inflation is a, is a hidden tax. Um, you know, dollars are, are a commodity. And just like any other commodity, when you have more of a commodity, when the supply of that commodity goes up, the, the value of it goes down. Um, so our dollars lose purchasing power. And it's, it's even worse. It's even worse than just losing purchasing power. Because those dollars first go to, um, you know, those who are connected, 
um, to the Federal Reserve, to the investment banks. It goes to the military-industrial complex. And it goes to, to those entities when it still has the, the most amount of value. Because um, over time, as we go forward in time, those dollars are losing value. And then as that all trickles down through the economy <clears throat> and the, the poorest people, um, people who are on fixed incomes on Social Security are the ones who bear the brunt of that, of that hidden tax, which is, which is what we're seeing right now. Um, I mean, we, we always see it, but we're seeing it magnified right now with, uh, with inflation that is just crippling. Um, this country. I, I don't know if, you, if you've been to the grocery store lately um, or if you've really bought anything recently. Uh, inflation is, is totally out of control. And I, I don't think, um, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but I, I don't think the, uh, you know, our, our current Fed policy, I don't think there's a, there's a Paul Volcker waiting in the wings who's going to have the, uh, really the cojones to up the interest rates to where they need to be to, uh, to curb this inflation. So what I'm fearful and what I think is likely to happen is we're going to end up with, uh, with stagflation, um, which is essentially a, a recession, a, a depression um, with rising costs, which is a pretty bad scenario to, uh, to be going through. Wow. Okay. Are you, do you identify as a libertarian? If you asked me that question probably two years ago, I would say yes, w- w- without a doubt. Um, I, I just have grown to really not like labels. Um, and, you know, and the thing about being a libertarian, the thing about the, that li- the libertarian philosophy is that, I mean, there's a lot that's, that's unsettled. Um, there's a lot of, which is fine. I mean, I think that's the same with Republicans and Democrats. They have things that they disagree on, but, um, I, I don't really think the libertarian philosophy is, is really in, enough by itself because it leaves so many things, um, muddled. Like if you look at immigration, <laughs> there's really no clear libertarian stance on, on immigration. I mean, of course, you know, you'll, you'll have people on the side of saying we should have free flowing borders. P- people should be able to, to, to flow freely across the border. And in a vacuum, yes, of, of course, you know, we, it would be outstanding if, if, you know, people from any country could come in and work here and would have commerce across the border and we wouldn't have these government interventions. But we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a world that is manipulated by government regulations and, um, you know, people are, are being held down in parts of the economy, not able to work and, um, immigrants are able to come in and, and, and take their jobs, especially when you look at what's hap- what happens in, in inner cities. Um, so it's, it, it, it's hard to, to come at something like, like immigration with a libertarian solution because, we don't live in a world that has, that is a libertarian world. So applying the solutions kind of miss. And another one um, that, you know, I think a lot of people avoid, maybe a lot of libertarians avoid talking about it is, is abortion. Um, and that's, I mean, that's another one where, I mean, as a libertarian, the libertarian philosophy on it would be, you know, pro-choice that you can't dictate and tell an individual what they can and cannot do with their body. 
Um, I am someone who is very much pro-life and I look at abortion very much as a, a cultural issue. Um, I don't, I don't think it's something that can be solved with, with government per se, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to be going around saying, yes, it's, you should do what you want with the baby in your body. If you want to kill it, kill it. If you don't, I'm just, I just don't agree with that. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that we should be using the government to come in and arrest mothers who are having abortions. I'm not in favor of that. Um, I don't necessarily even think prohibiting abortion would be a good thing in the long run as people who are seeking abortions are still going to seek abortions and then they're going to do so in, in maybe a way that could jeopardize their life or um, not. I don't know. Just prohibition, as we've seen with the war on drugs, always has unintended consequences. So I think at, at the root, when you look at something like abortion, and really more so it's, it's things like abortion, why I really am less identifying as a libertarian, I think there needs to be some, some values um, behind a, a political party. There needs to be something that, that you're standing on. For me, it's, it, it's my faith. Um, in order to actually be able to, to, to stand up for, for life. I mean, a libertarian solution, solution to abortion is, is not a solution. Okay. Um, admittedly, the way I found out or learned of the Lions of Liberty podcasting network is through your buddy Mark Clare hosting those wonderful debates that he does so well. Um, and, and since I've learned more and more about, once again, the Lions of Liberty podcasting network, it has become evident, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that Brian McWilliams is flying the Mises Caucus flag. I heard him. He was there at the in Reno over the weekend, and as the Mises Caucus took over the the Libertarian National Party. Of course, Brian McWilliams was a big part of that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, also under the Lions of Liberty podcasting network umbrella, Mark Clare, I don't know if you would call him maybe uh, maybe post-Libertarian, whatever uh, label you want to give to Mark Clare, um, he has made it very clear recently, although he's a big fan of the people within the, the Mises Caucus, he doesn't necessarily agree that that's the best strategy uh, to advance liberty, if that makes sense. So my question to you, John, is, was my description of Brian and Mark, was that accurate? And where do you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I think your, your characterization of, of where where Mark and Brian fall. That sounds accurate to me. Um, I'm not going to speak for them, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think that sounds, 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 sounds correct. W where do I fall? So I, I am, I'm a member of the libertarian party still. Um, I, I did, uh, I, I used to be more active. Um, for two years, I was the treasurer of our local affiliate um, here in uh, Allegheny County. Where, uh, where Pittsburgh is in Pennsylvania. Um, I, I have recently, within the past six months, six months resigned that position. Um, I did still attend the Libertarian Party uh, convention in, in Pennsylvania this year, and I, I you know, participated. Um, but more than anything, I was there 
to uh, to see friends and uh, and be among friends, and also to interview Spike Cohen because uh, didn't want to pass up on an opportunity to uh, to talk to him. I think he's one of the best messengers um, in the Liberty movement, and uh, he's also also a great guy. But where do I fall? So I I don't want to say I fall in the middle because because I, I I really don't. I think I think my my take on it is. I think it's it's important to distinguish it from from Mark and, and Brian's, um, but some might say it's not very different than Brian's. I'm not sure, but the way that I look at the Mises Caucus, I guess first of all, what Michael Heiss and um, it's it's hard to just single out Michael because there's, there's been so many who've been so um, instrumental in building the Mises Caucus. Jeff Jeff Douglas, I'm, I'm friends with Jeff. Um, people have just put in incredible amounts of time and effort building a community. And I think that is the most important aspect of the Mises caucus. You know, people can talk about what they just did in Reno um, with taking over the libertarian party. And I'm all in favor of that. You know, there, at least there, be, there will be good messaging coming out of the libertarian party. That's great. Um, so that, that alone is a good thing, but I think much more important, is the community aspect of the Mises caucus. And, you know, I'm on the, the, uh, you know, signal messaging chains for the Mises caucus. And I I see all of the different uh, discussions and conversations that go on back and forth and people helping each other with, uh, you know, finding jobs and with their businesses. And it's really, sure, it is embedded within a political organization, but it's really much more than a political organization. And this is really where I disagree with Mark on his character characterization of the Mises caucus. And I, you know, I, I don't want to you know speak for Mark, but I think with Mark having moved away to, he's living in Mexico now. Um, he, he's, he's not in this, I mean, he's not seeing it. He's not in the same groups that I am. He's, he's not having, discussions, you know, one-on-one with these people in the Mises caucuses. I don't think he is. Um, so I, I don't know if he's aware of really how strong that community is. And I think that is the strength. And, you know, Mark would say that these people should be putting time in to, um, you know, making sure that they are secure financially um, and not be spending money on, on going to Reno or going to state conventions or, or this or that. And I, I would agree with Mark on that point. Um, if people, you know, can't afford to you know, pay for their apartment or if they don't can't afford to have a car um, or if, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck, they shouldn't be going on trips to Reno. Um, that's not to say that they shouldn't stay engaged in a, in a community and, uh, you know, trying to help in, in different ways. <laughs> but that community can help, <laughs> excuse me, can help with those things, can help people find jobs, can help people build themselves up, build themselves up financially. Um, those who are the most successful in that Mises community um, should be using th- their position of, uh, you know, financial success or, or leadership or whatever um, to, to teach others, to, to lead by example. And I, I think that's really where the true power of the Mises community comes from. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be, um, you're either active in politics or you're building a business and, you know, 
dedicating yourself to, uh, you know, building a life that's, you know, able to get off the grid or leave the country or whatever, whatever people want to do. Um, I, I think, I think you can do both. And I think it's important. You don't have to do both certainly, but, um, I think having that vehicle in place where there is, and another important aspect is there is a, a goal of, you know, something higher than oneself. Um, and people gravitate to that. And I, I think that's very important to have in order to build a community. And people have pushed back on Mark and, and Pete Quinones saying, well, if you guys are going to criticize, you know, we have to offer something, there has to be something else. Um, and I, I think they're really, really, if you are really going to criticize, there really should um, be something else that you're, you know, that you're giving people something to, to, to coalesce around. Um, otherwise it just kind of comes off as sounding empty. And I mean, that's just my perspective on it. Okay. So if I'm hearing you correctly, um, you are not opposed to the Mises caucus. You would agree it's, it's a better group of people running the libertarian national party than like Nicholas Sarwark and all the, the people who've been in it over the, the recent years. So you're, you are a fan of guys like Dave Smith and you, you appreciate how Spike Cohen has even integrated, although he was a little bit uh, a part of the old regime. He has kind of molded and, and, you know, he's recognized that, yes, this is a, a good vehicle for what the Liberty message is trying to do. And you're on board with it. Now, there is some truth to the idea of don't go to Reno if you can't afford it. So, I mean, you're, you know, Mark Clare is not a, not a psychopath. It's not like he's saying anything that doesn't make sense. But you are in support of the Mises Caucus. I, I am. Yeah, I, I, I am in support of, of the Mises Caucus. Um, I mean, do I think it will ultimately be successful? Um, I mean, it's, I, honestly, I'd like to interview Michael Heiss because I know that he, they do have you know, objectives set out around what success is, and I'd like to understand more their plan for local politics because, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, and I think I, I agree with Mark and Pete on this aspect of it, that really I think most resources should go into localities and influencing your, your, your local politics. Um, I'm hopeful that with the change with, you know, the Mises caucus being in control of the libertarian party, I'm hopeful that there's a minimizing of the, it, it used to be with the old libertarian party. Let's run as many candidates as possible. Let's just run everybody. If you're a person run for office. Um, I think that's just a tremendous waste of energy and resources and it doesn't teach people how to be campaign managers, how to be treasurers, how to be, you know, these, these different roles on campaign teams. Um, sure. Yeah. You do need to run, I guess, you know, there has to be some strategy around maintaining, maintaining ballot access. You got to have statewide candidates and, you know, certain States to maintain your ballot access. Sure. Do that type of stuff, but really build up actual campaigns. And, you know, you're, you're not going to win, but build up a campaign that can actually raise some money and bring in some funds. People can learn how to do that. Don't just say everybody run for office. Let's all run for office. Um, 
I just think that's a waste of time. I mean, I do like what one thing that Pennsylvania, the old Pennsylvania regime did is they were very good at getting people into offices that they were run, they ran unopposed. So Pennsylvania has the most elected libertarians because they were able to identify all the open positions and just put a libertarian on the ballot and, you know, you win with 10 votes or, or whatever. And you're the, uh, county auditor or, or, or whatever, a job that typically either was never filled or just, you know, someone appointed their buddy to now has a libertarian in it, which I mean, that's better than running a campaign, you know, a contested race where you have, you have no chance and uh, no one's ever going to, you know, after the campaign's over, no one's ever going to care about, you know, that campaign ever again. So I think there's definitely some, strategy there and I'm, I'm hopeful that the the new libertarian party will be taking a more tactical strategy when it comes to divvying up resources for uh for campaigns i live here in kentucky and we are fortunate we have rand paul and thomas massey representing us a couple of the you know arguably maybe the best congressman and maybe the best senator so I have listened to, and I was fortunate I've got to interview Mark Clare a couple times, and a lot of what he's saying, I do feel, and some of the guests he's been interviewing, you know, it does make sense. I mean, by all means, Mitch McConnell sucks, is absolutely horrible, and then Rand Paul is, at least from my perspective, is probably the best senator out there. So, I mean, there is something to be said for the idea of supporting even if it's within the Republican Party on occasion, um, supporting someone like, in my case, you know, Rand Paul. So I'm a big Rand Paul supporter here in Kentucky. But for me personally, at least my journey, and I know this isn't exactly what everyone's listening for, but for my journey, if Dave Smith runs as the candidate in 2024, or even if it's uh, Spike Cohen, who I agree, I think he's brilliant. I've interviewed him multiple times. And if he were to be the candidate in 2024 and they were running and the options were, let's say, um, Vice President Harris was the Democrat, Trump is the Republican, and then it's, let's say, Spike Cohen or Dave Smith is the Libertarian candidate, I really do believe I, w- I would vote for the Libertarian candidate uh, in that instance. Now, how much does that matter when you're, you're, you're referencing earlier the focus on local politics is something that's arguably as or even more important. I can certainly see that too. You know, and I know I'm just going on kind of uh, spouting out uh, a bunch of different stuff here, but I've interviewed Larry Sharp multiple times and I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Larry Sharp's. One of the things he's doing in, in New York now, I don't envy him. He's fucking in New York and trying to run as a libertarian for governor. So I'm not saying I have a better idea than him. Yeah. But he has like kind of started partnering with Andrew Yang in some ways. And and then also I know that a couple he has a couple people running for office in New York that are uh, running as and I'm using air quotes right now, libertarians, but they historically were like Democrats. Okay, I interviewed one of them, and I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus in a negative light, but there's some different strategies when it comes to the local stuff. Like, if you're going to put someone on a ticket as a libertarian, is it that important to actually make sure they are a a legitimate, principled libertarian, or are they just trying to um, 
you know, ruffle some feathers or, or what exactly is going on there? I know I threw a lot at you there, um, but any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think, well, I think when you get local, that's when I think it's good to get creative. And I don't know anything about who, you know, what Larry's specific or strategy is or what his involvement is with, uh, you know, endorsing democratic leaning um, libertarians or whatever it is. But I, I will tell you this in Allegheny County a couple of years ago, our local affiliate did endorse an independent in a, uh, it was a race for, uh, for, for DA for, for a local DA. And there's been, uh, you know, the, the guy who's been in that role, uh, he's, you know, everyone in the city of Pittsburgh is a Democrat. That's the only way you get ele- elected if you're a Democrat. But um, this woman we, in- we endorse, I forget her name, uh, I think Lisa Middleman, she is a independent. And, you know, did, did we align with her 100%? No. But, you know, there were certain things, you know, a, a lot of it around, you know, policing reform and around, um, you know, around the, the war on drugs, treating it, treating that differently where we aligned enough that, that we endorsed her. <laughs> and I mean, the problem is the, the Democrat machine in Pittsburgh is just so strong. It's, it's just insane, but she almost won. Uh, the former, well, he was reelected. He didn't campaign at all. I think I saw one of his signs around the city of Pittsburgh. Her signs were everywhere. Um, who knows if it's, if it's a legitimate election, I'm going to assume it is because I have no evidence to the contrary, but it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if, if it wasn't. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think especially when you get local and even when you get on to, you know, when you get into school, bo- school boards and you're in your local community and, you know, libertarians are often promoting um, homeschooling. That's great. I'm you know in favor of people homeschooling if they have the resources and that's what they want to do. My daughter goes to public school. We don't have the, the time and, and really ability right now to, to, to homeschool, <clears throat> but the school she goes to is, is, is very good. And, uh, you know, we keep our, keep our eye out for, uh, for woke, woke bullshit. And yeah, you got to stay engaged with your local school board and understand, you know, what's being talked about. And, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, have some alliances with people you disagree with and other stuff, but, when it comes to, you know, educating your child, you agree 100%. So, you know, they might be Republicans, they might be Democrats, most likely they're Republicans. But, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, that, I, I see nothing, nothing wrong with that. And that's, I mean, I think that's, that's an area where libertarians have really missed out on in the past, where, you know, kind of their response to uh, school board issues has been, well, oh, just homeschool your kid, you know, well, get your kid out of public schools. That's indoctrination camp. And you know what? There's a lot of validity to that. I mean, that's, uh, and as a parent with a kid in public school, that's something that I'm concerned about all the time. And I'm always talking to my daughter, asking her questions about, you know, she's only in kindergarten right now. So, you know, they haven't started, it hasn't been a lot to talk about indoctrination wise. Of course, there's, a little, there's some things though some things around earth day that, that I'm not too, uh, not too pleased with, but just to say homeschool and that's the only solution. First of all, yes, that might take your kid out of public schools and that's great for your kid. That's awesome. As long as you know, you're able to handle that and make sure your kid gets that education. 
but there's still everyone else's kid is still in public schools. And all of these kids are going to grow up and they're going to, you know, go to college or whatever. They're going to go into corporate America. They're going to become your doctor. They're going to become your lawyer. Um, so you haven't solved any problem because all of those people who are going out into society are still getting that public school education. So unless you get involved in your school board and try to influence what's being taught, you're not doing a damn thing. John, I really appreciate you joining me today. Of course, on the Lions of Liberty podcasting network, you host Finding Freedom. How can the listeners uh, uh, you know, tune in to Finding Freedom and what is it you cover on your podcast? Yeah. So, uh, well, thanks again for having me on, Kelly. And uh, yeah, like you said, Lions of Liberty. So we do have a variety show type network where we have the, the three shows, Mark's show on Monday, Brian's show on Wednesday, and uh, Finding Freedom with me on Thursday. So you can either subscribe um, through the Lions of Liberty podcast, where you can find that, obviously, any podcasting app. Or I now have a, a separate Finding Freedom podcast feed. You can find that anywhere just by searching Finding Freedom. And then my name, if it doesn't come up, put in John Odermatt, O-D-E-R-M-A-T-T, and it should pop right up. So on my feed, when I started out podcasting years ago, my show was called Felony Friday, and I was almost 100% focused on the criminal justice system and sharing stories of individuals who have been through the system and uh, come out on the other side and uh, sharing their stories of uh, overcoming obstacles and and uh, really some just amazing things in my archives of uh, a Felony Friday. If people want to go back and listen to those interviews, I highly recommend. But I, I did pivot and change the name of the show to Finding Freedom. This was um, in, uh, I think it was 2021 when I did it, if I remember correctly. And really, the reason for that was what everyone had been through with the pandemic and lockdowns and all this different stuff. And I just really saw the, the importance for a, you know, need to shift the, the conversation and uh, really talk about more broadly how individuals um, can do things in their own lives to expand um, our personal freedoms. And I talk about every, recently I've been on a kick talking about uh, health and, you know, health and wellness and taking care of your body, eating the right things, working out. Um, I talk to business owners. I talk to entrepreneurs. I still do uh, interviews occasionally with people who have, who have been through the prison system, who have, who have some, uh, you know, some stories to share of injustice. But more than anything, I just want to have an outlet where, you know, I'm sharing stories where people can go to, to, to really find that motivation or maybe even find that practical knowledge that can help them to find freedom within their own life. I love it. And according to your Twitter feed, and, you know, of course, your um, profile, it says that you are, or it, it tells the story that you emphasize, of course, you, you are proud to be a Christian, you're an entrepreneur, and you are a fan of, of eating healthy, as you said earlier. So I assume those are also kind of themes uh, of the things you talk about. So that's kind of almost in a way kind of similar to like the, the kick Mark Clare or, or Jason Stapleton has been on lately. And that's kind of focus on yourself and then contribute locally as best you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's definitely, definitely similar. Um, 
you know, before we can really help other people and really change, you know, provide the necessary change that's needed in this country and really start to, to build things and innovate, um, you first have to be your best self. And I mean, that's kind of cliche to say, you know, I know people kind of might roll their eyes at that, you know, cause there's some in the self-help community that they, you know, I uh, will say some kind of things that sound corny about being your best self. But I mean, that's the, that's the God's honest truth. I mean, if you're going through issues, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling pessimistic about life, um, if you're feeling, you know, downtrodden, you know, going to a corporate job every day, that's sucking the soul out of you. Uh, if, if you're not able to, you know, get through that, there's no way you're going to be able to contribute to a movement, be it through the Mises caucus or the libertarian party, or be it through building a business yourself or contributing uh, to someone else building a, uh, you know, really a, a life changing innovative business. Uh, you're not gonna be able to do that unless you have your, yourself together. You have your own shit together. So I, I'm all in favor of helping people to do that. I love it. Well, once again, John Odermatt, I really appreciate your time. I look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. John, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Kelly. I want to thank everyone for tuning into The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.